Hey, good morning, New Life Church. I am so glad that you are with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for joining us for our online gathering. I am believing that God is going to do something absolutely incredible in your life in a very difficult message that I'm going to share with you today. Before I do that, let me just kind of share with you a new resource that I've got. Uh, I'm just excited. Last week I told you that our that my latest book called I Pledge Allegiance um, is available. And if you'd like to pick up a copy of this, it's available in our church office. You can even put it in the comments that you'd like to get a copy, and one of our team members will get with you and let you know how you can get a copy of this. It's just, I call it, the subtitle is Seeing God in 31 Words. There are 31 words in the Pledge of Allegiance, and we really kind of parallel that with what God's Word says in this trying and difficult time. And so how can we as Americans, as Christians, how can we overcome? We're kind of talking about this in this book, so hopefully you can pick up a copy. It'll resource you, bless you. Maybe get a copy for somebody else that you can share it with, and we're happy to have resources here at New Life in our ministries. We constantly want to put things out, whether it's in print or online or in, in worksheet format or, or video, whatever we can do. We want to resource you and your family to live the best possible life you can, healthy life, a healthy life spiritually and emotionally and relationally so that you can be a, a, an overcomer, a victorious in Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, we are continuing in a five-week series. And this five week, this is week number two in a five-week series that I'm calling Take a Stand. Take a Stand. In fact, this series is going to take us all the way up to our Miracle Offering Sunday, which happens to be on November the 15th. And so the, the series will end the week prior to that on November the 8th. But on November the 15th, I want you, listen, online gathering, online church, be, be dialed into this because in just four weeks, we are going to participate in a real-time, real-life miracle that takes place every single year here at New Life Church. This year, we're hosting our Miracle Offering. Why do we do a Miracle Offering? We do it to make sure we finish our ministries, finish this year 2020 well and we can start 2021 well also and this this funds our capital c ministries which includes scholarships and outreach and missions and missionaries and all the things that we do to try to connect with people with the good news of the gospel we want you to help us with this and so uh, plan your best possible offering on Sunday, November the 15th. We'll be encouraging you to help us online give. You can be in person at our in inside gathering at our Lathrop campus, or you can be at our outside gathering at our River Islands campus, or you can join us online. But that Sunday, bring your best offering. I believe that there are, I'm believing that we're going to collect at least, at least, $50,000 in one offering. And that is a miracle for New Life Church. That's like two, two and a half months worth of income for our ministries in one offering. And I know that God will do it because he'll work through you. So begin praying now, God, what's my best? What can we bring? I'm telling you what, we saw miracles happen in people's lives last year. Man, I want you to be a part of that. Not just because the church you know, needs your resources because I know God will provide, but, but he wants to bless you in the process. And so thanks for partnering. Thank you. On behalf of my wife and myself and our team of 11, we say thank you, thank you, thank you for partnering with us and going on the missions. We go on the mission with Jesus through New Life Church. Praise the Lord. Well, listen, um, I'm, I'm very cognizant. Take a stand. I'm very cognizant of the fact that this is election season. Just a few weeks away from choosing uh, multiple choices in our, in our election, but choosing for the president and Senate seats and Congress and local uh, elections. All of this is taking place in just a few weeks. And I think it's God's design that we are talking about take a stand in 
this particular season. I think it's God's design that this resource is available to you during this season. And so in this particular series, we're, gonna, we're taking five different Old Testament Bible stories that are found in the book of Daniel. So open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, and we're going to learn how to take a stand for God and do what is right. And so last week we talked about how we're supposed to, in week number one, we talked about how we're supposed to stand out. And I got to tell you, this is probably, that's probably the most important one, is if you don't stand out for Christ, then you can't really do the rest of what we're talking about over this five weeks. You got to be peculiar. You got to be different. You got to go against the flow, against the current, against this common culture, and stand out for Jesus. Today, we're talking, though, about stand up. And this is perhaps one of the, probably the most difficult conversation that we're going to have today as we talk about how we're going to stand up for what is right. And then next week, we're going to talk about stand strong. And then week number four, we're going to talk about how we can truly stand in the faith. And then week number five, um, which is probably one of the more rewarding weeks, we're going to talk about how in the world we can choose to stand firm. We've got to stand firm as we continue to work uh, toward Jesus and work in the faith. So uh, stand out was last week. If you didn't get catch that one, watch it online because this is to me the, uh, the crux. It, it all begins with stand out. If you don't stand out, then it doesn't matter if you stand up, stand strong, stand in the faith or stand firm because you got to stand out first. You got to be a follower of Jesus Christ, not just a fan of Jesus Christ. Today we're talking about stand up and stand up is, is we're dealing with a word um, the C word. We're dealing with the word called confrontation today. How do you confront in a healthy way? How, do you, how, how can you be a, a positive, um, uh, effective person who confronts people? And so we're going to talk, that's a difficult conversation. We're going to have it today. And then stand strong, stand in the faith, and finally we're going to talk about stand firm. So this is the series that we're going on through the 8th of November. So I'm glad you're joining us today. All right, so we're in this, in this journey together, and we're talking about how do we stand up? How do we stand up for what is right? Confrontation. This is something that very few of us do well. In fact, I kind of feel like there are two extremes when we deal with the subject of confrontation. I'm, I'm gonna tackle those before I get into the question, how do we stand up for what is right? The two extremes, and this is where it gets kind of scary when I teach on the subject of confrontation. How do you stand up? Um, because there's usually, you're, you're on one of two camps. The first camp is what I'm gonna call the overly confrontational people that are overly confrontational in their lives. This is the person who might confront and they're not loving whatsoever. They're kind of an angry, kind of hostile person when it comes to confrontation. They don't really have any context. They don't have any relationship. These are your social media people that think that they have the right to confront people on any issue without really knowing that person or without having proper context of what's taking place, that they feel like they're always right. And an overly confrontational person will correct everyone at every given opportunity. 
But the other extreme to this is the overly passive person. So there's the overly confrontational, but the overly passive person. An overly passive person is just unwilling to confront. Just, it freaks them out too much. They're too scared to confront somebody. They tend to kind of rationalize if you're overly passive and say, well, it's none of my business or, or well, I'm, just, I'm just gonna live and let live. Who am I to judge? And so there's the overly passive person as well. And I kind of wonder, would you put yourself more to the extreme, more to the side of the camp of overly confrontational? Or would you put yourself more in the camp of overly passive? And I know I can't see you right now, but uh, here's what I, what I believe. Um, if you are on the camp of overly passive, and if you were live in person with me right now, and I asked you to raise your hand if you were in the overly passive camp or category, um, most of you probably wouldn't even raise your hand because you, you don't want to bring any controversy to the person that might be next to you. However, those of you that are overly confrontational and you're in that side or that camp or you lean more in that direction, you might not just raise one, you might raise both hands in church because you know what, you, you, you're willing to let people know that you're, um, you're overly confrontational. Here's the deal. Pride cometh before the fall. And so overly confrontational, overly passive, both of those are extremes and God wants us to find, to find his perfect will in the center. And so the danger of teaching on this is some people are going to be like, yes, he's telling us to confront. I've been wanting to confront any other people are going to be like, you know, confrontation, that's just not me. God didn't design me that way, so I'm just not going to dial in or listen. Fast forward to the next message. This is for everybody. We need to ask God, though, for wisdom as to how do we confront someone that needs to be confronted in the right way, at the right time, and for the right reasons. How do we confront someone who needs to be confronted in the right way? That's a good question. At the right time, that's discernment. And for the right reasons, how do we do that? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I pray that you are, there are gonna be times when God is going to call you to intervene in someone's life and confront them. Why? Because you love them. Because God loves them. If you're a parent, you may have a child that's making bad decisions and you need to know from God, when, when is the right time to step in and stand up so that you don't push too hard or push them away, but you're bringing them back to the things of God? When is the best, how do you, how do you stand up? Um, maybe if you're, you've got a family member who's making some, or a friend that's making some very poor financial decisions in their life, and you know that over time, it's going to sink their ship. It's going to be devastating to them. And so God may be directing you and calling you because you love them, because you care about them. He may be calling you to stand up and say to them, here's a better way to manage your finances. Boy, that's a tough conversation to have. But who else is going to have that honest conversation with them before they, before they sink? Maybe a friend is, is in an area of sin. Maybe it's in the area of sexual sin and they're, 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 they're making some bad decisions in that area of their life. Because you love this friend and you want the best for him, you, you understand you're not perfect and you're not judging, so you got the right spirit about you, but you want, but you care about this, but you love this person enough to help him make wise choices, good decisions. And so you've got to stand up to him in this area of sin. You've got to have the conversation because you love this person, not because you hate this person, but because you want God's best for them. Maybe, maybe you've got this relative that's just kind of a judgmental pain in the 
backside. You, you know what I'm talking about. Every family seems to have one of those. And you might say, well, our family doesn't have one of those. That might be because you are that person. I'm just going to throw that out for you to consider. But, but nevertheless, every Thanksgiving, they're always sitting around the table and they tend to be undercutting everybody, competing with everybody. And finally, you just have to stand up. Now, I'm not talking about angry. I'm not talking about vindictive or vengeful. That's wrong. That's sinful. But I'm talking about standing up, not physically, but verbally in a, in a, in a, in a, in a great correct manner according to God's word. Stand up and say, you know, in our family, we're not going to tear each other down. In our family, that's not who we are. And so you stand up. Boy, some of these can, if you're in one extreme, you're like, man, hammer them. And you're on the other extreme, you're like, dude, I could never do that. We want you to find the center where God's will is for all of us as followers of Jesus. So turn in your Bible to Daniel. This time we're in Daniel chapter four. Daniel chapter four. Last week we were in Daniel chapter one. I'll give you a chance to turn there or find it on your device. But I want you to read this with me as we go through this Old Testament story. As you're turning to Daniel chapter four, let me give you a little bit of context. It's a great story. King Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king, the wicked king, is still in charge. Now I got to thinking, how can I help you understand how how bad this king is. It is impossible to describe the oppressive treatment that King Nebuchadnezzar was doing toward the people. But let me try it this way. I don't know if you remember Saddam Hussein. Uh, remember the Iraqi uh, dictator um, back in the 90s uh, before he was overthrown and uh, before he eventually um, he, he was uh, brought to, 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 to an end. Um, uh, Saddam Hussein, maybe you didn't know this, this is well documented, saw King Nebuchadnezzar from the Bible as his ultimate hero. That's how evil this guy was. In fact, Saddam Hussein believed that he was actually King Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated. That's how evil King Nebuchadnezzar was. An oppressive, foul, um, horrible, horrific that he was of a king. What's interesting to me is King Nebuchadnezzar actually saw God work. Actually saw God move enough where God got his attention. I mean, and it, there were even times when in the, in the Bible we read and we'll read today that King Nebuchadnezzar actually turned toward God in his life. If I can hit pause for a second, that might even be a little bit like you. And I'm not comparing you to the evil, wicked king. But the fact that maybe in your life, at some point in your life, you may have been drawn to the things of God. Like God had your attention maybe when you were a teenager. Maybe he had your attention when you were younger in your life. Maybe it was as recent as last year. But this year has been crazy for you. And you've, you've, drawn, you've pulled away from God. And, and what happened in King Nebuchadnezzar's life um, is pride would kick in. And he began to pull away from God. And, and when he pulled away from God, he'd say things like, well, just forget about it. And, and maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe there's been this spiritual tension that's been going on in your life where, where, where you go for God for a season and you're, you're white hot for God. And then you do your own thing. And that's what's going on with King Nebi here. All right, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so God gave him this crazy dream. He has this dream that really disturbs him. And it freaked him out so much that King Nebuchadnezzar, this evil, wicked king, um, couldn't sleep. Uh, he couldn't find any peace, any relief whatsoever. So he calls his magicians and interpreters into his king's court. And he says, I want you to tell me, what does this dream mean? And if you read different versions of the Bible, you'll read that some versions say the interpreters 
could not interpret the dream. But other translations say, other versions say, the interpreters would not interpret the dream. I happen to believe that the more correct translation of this is they, they would not interpret the dream. How'd you come to that realization, Troy? Well, it, to me, it's, it makes kind of total sense. When you hear the dream that we'll read in just a moment, the truth is I think a second grader could probably figure out the interpretation of this dream. I don't think it's difficult to figure out what this dream really means. I'm thinking that they knew exactly what the dream meant. But they're like, I'm not gonna tell the king this bad news. I'm not gonna interpret this dream for the king because King Nebuchadnezzar was among many other kings of that day that were famous for actually killing the messenger or the interpreter of the dream or the bad news. That is, that's really where we get the phrase that we still use today some 4,000 years later, um, don't kill the messenger. And so that's what would happen. And so the king's like, what does this mean? And all of these, these workers and, and, and interpreters and magicians and enchanters that he has in his kingdom, I don't know, king, that's a really good one, man. I don't know, you, you might wanna ask somebody else. And that's what the king did. The king went to Daniel. Daniel, last week I told you, he and his three friends were probably somewhere around 14 or 15 years old. That was in chapter one. Well, in chapter four, Daniel is closer to 45 or 50 years old. So several decades have passed by. He's now my age. He's, he's middle-aged and a little over the, the hill. So he's about maybe close to 50 years old. And he's already had this experience of interpreting dreams for the king. And so they've got this relationship. It's kind of been a solid relationship for decades. Daniel is still fearful and loves and serves God. The king does not at all. Did you know you can still have relationship with people even though they don't believe the same way that you believe? Because if you'll hang with them long enough, you might, you might just see God move in their lives. You might receive that as a word for yourself. In fact, Democrats and Republicans and people across the aisle and all sorts of, of confusion and, and challenges in our culture today might learn from what's happening here in Daniel chapter four. But I, but I digress. Daniel chapter four, I wanna begin reading at verse number nine. So follow along, stay with me if you would please. Verse number nine, I said... I said, Belshazzar, that is Daniel. That's the new name that Daniel had been given by the, by the king. Chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. This is the king talking to Daniel. The, uh, Daniel has not yet interpreted the dream. And no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, all the beasts, under it, excuse me, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions, I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger. Another word for messenger is, is watchman. A holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal 
till seven times pass by for him. Verse number 17, the decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowest, the, the lowliest of men. Then verse number 18, check this out. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, that's Daniel, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So this, this is the dream. And I, I believe what happens at this point is Daniel hears this dream from this evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, that is easily triggered, that is hostile and angry all the time, uh, that isn't afraid to kill the messenger. And I believe Daniel gets really, really quiet. I don't think he wants to interpret this dream. Now, at this point, what could Daniel have done? Well, one option is Daniel might have said, well, gosh, that's a good one. I have no idea. I don't know what it means. Daniel could have said, I'm sorry, King. I'm actually, uh, I'm retired from dream interpreting. I like to play golf and work in the garden now. He could have, he could have said, maybe, maybe, O oh, King, you just had dominoes a little too late last night and the pepperoni didn't settle very well and you'd had this ridiculous dream and it was just a nightmare. Don't worry about it. But instead... We are going to watch Daniel lovingly stand up to the king and he helps to try to point the king in the right direction. Man, there's a, there's a wealth of information, a wealth of knowledge and understanding we can glean from this story. So what does the dream mean? Well, you know, I did a little research on, on dreams this week, and so I kind of wanted to share with you a little bit of information. Uh, I, I, some articles that I read were uh, kind of consistent about what some dreams might mean. So if you have a consistent dream about something, it could be, this is not thus saith the Lord, but just articles I read to help us connect this a little bit. It could be that if you have a dream about, you know, you're falling, you have a dream about you, you're falling, it, it, they say that, that there's probably something in your life that you can't control that really concerns you. It's interesting to me. Or they say, if you have a dream about forgetting an exam or forgetting a test or being really forgetful, I forgot that. It was very important in your life. Uh, they're suggesting that maybe that means that you haven't adequately prepared for something. Uh, if you ever had a dream like that, it means you probably aren't prepared for something you need to get prepared for. Uh, it makes sense. Some, some they say, you ever have a dream where you get stuck? Maybe you're stuck in quicksand or you're stuck in your car or somehow you're, just, you're stuck and you can't get loose of something. They're saying that that means that you feel overwhelmed inside. It kind of makes sense. You ever have a dream where, where about dirty water? I've never had a dream about dirty water before, but they say, one article said that that's your body telling you that you're sick. And so if, I guess if you dream about dirty water, you probably better go see the doctor in the morning or, or pray for healing. I'm just, just throw some They say if you dream about chocolate, if you have a dream about chocolate, that means you feel that you've done something good and, and you feel like you deserve to be rewarded. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. This other one, if you dream that you have to go to the bathroom, well, then you have to go to the bathroom. I mean, get up and go to the bathroom because you really have to, you really take it, you really have to go to the bathroom. Here, here's what we know. Well, we've got, we've got this king who has a dream. And there's this big tree and the holy one from heaven says, cut it down. And so the king says to Daniel, who's interpreted his dreams in the past, what does this mean? And Daniel doesn't want to answer. And the king says, come on, Daniel, come on, tell me what it means. And so we get to verse number 19. 
Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, Daniel, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And so Belshazzar, Daniel, answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. In other words, do you see what Daniel's doing? He's showing genuine concern and care for the king. In other words, he's saying, oh, king, I wish this wasn't true. That's empathy. When you have to confront someone, you need to do it in an empathetic, empathetic way. If you do it in an angry way, a hostile way, you're not gonna get anywhere. Then Daniel, I love this, he stands up and he tells the truth. Look at verse number 22. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Then Daniel, then Daniel interprets this. Check, check out verse, that's, that's the truth. You, O king, are that tree. And then the interpretation comes beginning in verse number 25. Jump down there for me if you would, please. Um, you will be driven away from the people and will eat, or excuse me, and will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by. That means, by the way, seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And then verse 26, this, the command will, uh, to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Now, Daniel could have stopped right there. In other words, Daniel said the bad news of the dream, and then he kind of said the good news. The stump is there to let you know that your kingdom, it could be restored if you just acknowledge that, that, that God is the sovereign God. He is the, the one true holy God. He could have ended on a positive note, but he didn't. He didn't. Sometimes when we confront, we don't tell the whole truth. I'm not talking about doing it in an angry way or in a passive way. I'm talking about doing it the right way. Daniel continued to stand up to the king, not because he was arrogant or because Daniel was prideful, or not because Daniel thought more highly of himself than the king. Daniel stood up to the king because he wanted the king to know the goodness of his God. Let me say that again. Daniel stood up to the king because he wanted the king to know the goodness of his God. That's why, that, that, that's why Daniel had the courage to stand up and say in verse number 27, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. In other words, what is Daniel saying to the king? He's like, listen, king, I care for you and I want what's best for you, but stop sinning and do what's right. See, he went on with it. Stop sinning and do what's right. Stop oppressing your people. Be a blessing to the people that serve in your kingdom. King, be merciful to others and then do the right thing. And when you do the right thing, maybe, just maybe, God will let you prosper some more in your life. Man, that's a powerful word, confrontation that Daniel was doing. Now, I don't know about you, um, what it's gonna be for you, and I don't know 
what circumstances this will fall under. But if you're following Jesus Christ in your life, there's going to be a time when God is gonna call you to stand up to someone who's making the wrong decisions. Why? Why? Always remember that your motive is to help them back to God's path again. Not to prove that you're right. Not to prove that you, uh, that you are smarter than them. Not to prove that you're superior to them. Just in the same way as there will be times when God will call other people to stand up to you, to challenge you, things that you might be blind at, things that you need to be corrected on so that you can get on the right path. I had a divine encounter this last Monday. We had a board meeting in my office and we connected about some things the end of the meeting, after it was over, I sat around talking with a couple of our elders and we had a conversation and the subject of political division came up. And one of our great elders, you know him, Larry Belfield, is a wonderful man of God. And he began having a conversation and as he began sharing with me his heart for the Black Lives Matter movement, I began to weep in my office. I began to cry. I went home that night and I cried some more. And I got up the next morning and I cried in the morning as Larry was telling me some powerfully gripping stories, real life accounts. And I began to see things through a different lens. I, I, in fact, I want to share with you right now, this next Wednesday, please join me this Wednesday at 8 p.m. on YouTube or on Facebook. We're going to go live. I am, I've decided that that night I'm hijacking the online campus, the online, we're gonna go on our New Life CA Facebook page and as well as our YouTube page. And I'm gonna have uh, an interview time with me and Larry on the stage. And I'm calling this an honest conversation about racial tension. An honest conversation about racial tension. You see, Larry, Larry didn't even know this, but out of a conversation, Larry lovingly confronted me on an issue at the right time, in the right way, and for the right reasons. And I wanna share with you, and we're gonna learn and grow together as we tackle the elephant in the room right now in our culture, this subject of, of, of racial tension. And we're gonna, we're gonna have an honest conversation this Wednesday night at 8 p.m., so don't, you don't wanna miss this one. Put it on your calendar, please. Here's what I want you to know about confrontation and standing up. Whenever God calls you to be the one to stand up to someone else, it is imperative that we be prayerful about how we do this. Mm. Paul talks about this, in fact, in the book of Galatians, in the New Testament. Galatians chapter six, um, verse uh, number one. Uh, Paul says to us in the first part of the verse, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Did you hear that? You who are spiritual, you who are saved, should restore him gently. In other words, um, I'm no better than you, but I wanna help you get back on the right path because you're in a place that's could, it's gonna end up hurting you or it's gonna end up hurting someone that you love and I care about you too much to just let this unfold, let this happen right now. It's, that's the way we gently restore someone. We, we, can, we stand up. We confront, but we do it the right way. And then Paul says something that's interesting in the rest of that verse. He says, but watch yourself. So as you're standing up, as you're confronting, watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. Watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. In other words, he's saying, be careful, be careful. Let me give you two short prayers that you can jot down. They'll be on your screen, but that you can write down that will help you before you confront someone. 
Hey, if you're not planning on confronting someone, you might want to write these down because God just might call you to confront someone because you love them, not because you hate what they're doing or you hate them, not because you're angry or superior, not because you're jealous or insecure, but you love them and you want God's best for them. You want them to get it back on God's path. Prayer number one, God, help me to confront with the goal of restoration. God, help me to confront with the goal of restoration, not because I'm right and they're wrong. I'm not confronting because I wanna correct them. I'm not confronting because, because of any other reason other than I want to help them get back on track with God, period. Help me to confront with the goal of restoration. And then number two, second prayer, simple one sentence, short prayer you can pray. God, help me to confront with caution. Help me to confront with caution. Why? Let me, let me tell you this. When we confront others, we become vulnerable. Somebody's like, yeah, we become vulnerable. They might just attack us. No, 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 no. That's not the concern. When we confront other people, we become vulnerable to the wicked, evil sin of pride. In other words, when we put ourselves in a position of confronting someone, unless we do it the right way at the right time for the right reasons, we oftentimes can think, well, I've got this all figured out. I've got this mastered, and so you probably better listen to me. Oh, we've got to be cautious, and we've got to be careful. God, help me to confront with the goal of restoration, and God, help me confront with caution. If, if, I, ever, if I ever bring correction to you, it doesn't make me higher than you. If you ever bring correction to me, it doesn't make you higher than me. Here's the truth. We all are lower than God, amen? We're all lower than God. And when we realize that, what we should do is we should try to elevate each other so that we can get to God in the right way for the right reasons to see the right results. The last thing I want you to hear from this message today is, well, Pastor Troy said, I gotta find three people to confront in the next, before sundown tonight. I, got, I, got to conf- I didn't say that. I'm not telling you to go out and con- confront someone. We're not looking to correct other people. We're looking to help one another get closer to God. There's a big difference. What's your motive? What's your motive? That's what we're called to do. And so that's exactly what Daniel does. Oh, King, I want you to know I love you. And, and I wish I didn't, I wish this didn't apply to you, this dream that you had, but I'm gonna interpret it for you. I wish it was for your enemies, but, but, but it does, it does apply to you, king. Here's what it means. And I humbly tell you, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. Because, because if you do, maybe, just maybe you'll continue to prosper. Hmm. Maybe God will continue to bless you. So what does King Nebi do? What does King Nebuchadnezzar do? Does he go, oh, snap. You're right, Daniel. Forgive me. Let's take communion together and sing our God reigns in in unison. Is that what happens in, in the story? If you're familiar with the story, the answer to that question is absolutely not. So what does happen? What does happen? The king continues to rebel. He doesn't change. He, he rebels against God. And then the Bible says seven years go, seven horrible years go by. Some of you are going to obey God and you're going to uh, be prompted by the Holy Spirit and you're gonna do it the right way. I, I believe you will. I really believe that. You're not gonna be overly confrontational. You're, you're not gonna be arrogant. You're, you're not gonna be harsh, but you're gonna do the right thing and you're gonna stand up and you're gonna lovingly confront a brother or a sister or a family member. You're gonna do it the right way. And sometimes they're gonna turn toward God. But the truth is, other times they're not. 
And so here's what I hope you'll hear from God's message today. Here, it's gonna be on your screen, but I, I really want you to get this as the central, main, big point, main idea. Are you ready for this? You're not responsible for their response. You're not. You're simply responsible to be obedient to what God has called you to do. You do it right, and you trust God with the results. That's, that's the theme of this whole thing. And that's what Daniel did. Seven years go by. Seven years later, by the grace of God, we read back in Daniel, again, Daniel chapter, uh, Daniel chapter, chapter six, or, um, uh, verse number, uh, excuse me, Daniel, Daniel chapter four, excuse me, Daniel chapter four, verse number 34. It says, at the end of that time, that's the end of the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Get this. Then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Hallelujah. That is Daniel chapter four, verse number 34. Seven years later, what happens? This evil, wicked, horrible, nasty, um, oppressive king, he repents of his sins and he turns to God. Hallelujah. God is glorified because he worked through someone named Daniel who had the courage to do what? Daniel had the courage to stand up. He had the courage to stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar. And because Daniel had the courage to stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar, man, the, God had the power to work in his life. By the way, the same king had the power to take Daniel's life, but Daniel stood up to him anyway. Praise God. Some of you are going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to take a risk. And, and that can be messy, and that can be ugly, and a lot of you just, you have the power to turn your TV or your phone or your iPad, or uh, you have the power to turn off YouTube or Facebook, but you're still listening because you know God has a, a, a message for you in this. In your marriage, you may have to stand up and say, you know what, I've been a doormat for way too long. and You've been treating me with disrespect. I love you too much to let this continue. Let's go get some counseling. Let's talk to Pastor Keeley, the New Life Counseling Center director. Let's schedule an appointment to get, let's get some help. You're gonna have to stand up. You're gonna have to stand up. Maybe you're, 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 you're in work and you know your boss is in charge, but you kind of feel like, um, you kind of feel like, you know, you're not, you're not being respected. So you may have to stand up in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons, with the right spirit, maybe say something like this, hey, would you please give me a chance? I think I've got something to offer that might benefit the company. Can I, can I get your ear for a few minutes? That's standing up in the right way. But you get angry, mean-spirited, know-it-all attitude, you're, you don't, you don't, you're not gonna be heard by anybody. Maybe your child is going the wrong way. And you, you stand up and you say in the right way, listen, I love you too much. I made mistakes when I was young. I see that you're making mistakes now. And I really want to give you some solid advice. I want to sow some good, solid advice into your life because I believe that's going to take you in the right direction. You might not be received, but you're doing it. 
You're standing up for what is right. Here's what I know. When you do it in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons, whether they accept it then or they accept it seven years down the road, you're planting a positive seed if you do it correctly. Not overly confrontational, not overly passive, but doing it God's way. And when the Holy Spirit works through you in God's perfect timing, in God's perfect way, I believe that you will gently and humbly help people get back on the right path with God. Not because you're right, not because they're wrong, but because you desire for them to be right with God. And, and I believe you're gonna be open to what others need to confront you about because you know that their intent is to help you get back on track with God as well. Not an easy subject, this confrontation discussion. But I'm telling you, if you're going to take a stand, you have to stand up. You have to stand up for what is right. But the only way that you're going to be able to be heard is if you do it at the right time, in the right way, for the right reasons. Let's pray together today. Oh God, help us with this. Confrontation is never easy. It seems to be seldom rewarding. But if we do it in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons, I believe, God, that you're going to help us. So help us to avail ourselves to the prompting of the Holy Spirit so that when someone we care about needs help, needs correction, we would be available and we would be bold and courageous and willing to stand up, not against them, God, but we would stand up for them. In fact, right where you're at, on your couch or in your bed or in your car or in your kitchen, the back patio, wherever you're at watching this message right now, I believe it's time for some of you, some of you, uh, to help someone you love get back on the right path with God. So will you say right now that you're available to be a vessel that God will use, that you, have, you would avail yourselves to stand up and to help point them back to Him? That's, that's the goal of confrontation, not to get them to do what you want them to do or to believe what you want them to believe, but to help them get back on track with God. If that's you, wherever you're at right now, would you just outwardly indicate the inward confession that you're going to make right now and lift up your hands to God and say, God, that's me. I'll avail myself to be used by you. And, and it's scary. I don't want to do it right, but I want to help people get on back on track with you. Maybe you're thinking of a family member, a friend, or a coworker, a neighbor. Maybe you're thinking of a child. Maybe you're thinking of a parent. Maybe you're thinking of someone at church in the fellowship and the connection that you're with and a new life member, but you're like, I see it, I see it, and I wanna, my goal is to help them, and so I will stand up. I'll stand up. Let me pray for you that your hands are lifted. God, I pray that when you lead us to confront others toward the truth, that you would give us the words to say and that your Holy Spirit would go before us to soften our hearts. God, I pray that you would, for those in dating relationships and those in marriages, God, I pray that if there needs to be some tough conversations to bring the relationship to a better place, I pray that we'd have the courage to stand up, that it would be done in the right spirit with the right attitude. And God, I pray that there would be healing where there's brokenness. I pray for parents who are aching because their children are making bad decisions. God, give them wisdom as to when to stand up and when to step in. God, I also pray for those today that are in need to receive healthy confrontation, that there's something in our lives that's not quite right. May we be open to your loving rebuke and your discipline and your correction. It's a tough prayer, God, but we pray that as you discipline us, not as an angry, harsh, hateful father, but as a loving father, you bring us back into your perfect will. 
God, we repent in those areas that you show us that we come running back to you because, God, we know you love us and because, God, we know that you, you want to bless us. Oh, God, we pray this in Jesus' name.